You're listening to Who Run the World, a podcast about female leadership in the workplace. I'm Marilyn, your host, and in this episode, I talk to Hind Sergiye, Managing Director and Founder of Arkoub, an AR and VR content and service provider in the UAE. Hind has a really inspiring story. She's really a risk taker. She's never turned down an opportunity, no matter how afraid she was or how many internal and external obstacles were in her way. But before we get to her career, I asked Hind about how she grew up. And very similarly to me, she's from Arab descent, her parents are Syrian, but grew up in Montreal, Canada. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Hint. So my parents moved a long time ago. They really wanted to preserve the culture. So we, we grew up with uh, no disconnection with our roots. Then we, we would go to schools. All our friends come from different countries. That's what's the beauty of uh, Montreal, you know. We were really mixed with all different cultures, so we didn't really feel different. Yeah, everyone's an immigrant in Montreal to some degree. So what did your father do? So my father is uh, in textile. He had his own company, uh, like a a real Syrian from Aleppo who uh, was in, you know, it's an industrial uh, city. So he brought that knowledge to Montreal and opened his uh, company there. And my mom uh, is or was full-time mommy raising four kids. I'm number two. And did, did you help out in your dad's shop? No, I didn't actually. I do remember when I was young, jumping on the rolls of uh, textile. It's yeah, it's memories, but uh, I did not like help him in the business and all this. No, I didn't get that chance. How did your culture sort of influence what you chose to study at school or university? You know, if you come from an Arab family, it's like architect, doctor, engineer, maybe lawyer. For some reason, all the other jobs were not uh, credible to their eyes. I decided to go to Polytechnique de Montréal, uh, engineer school but I didn't stay long because I realized I hated it and I realized that I'm gonna have to work not my parents you know I'm, I'm gonna have to love what I do and it's extremely important to find like what's your passion in life and what what really drives you and wakes you up in the morning and at that time during my lunch breaks I used to go to the computer rooms because I didn't have a laptop and uh, would play on the uh, like the stocks. It was before the explosion of tech, tech bubble. So the stocks would like you would buy penny stocks and the next day was like five times the number. And we think, okay, I'm, I'm on, on my way to become a millionaire. But it, all this just created some kind of interest uh, into the finance world. And I said, you know, even if my parents never spoke to me about finance, but I have To be fair, my mom always encouraged me to, like, you know, have you thought about this? Why don't you do it? So I kind of needed that minimum support to just push me. My father was, like, in another world, and I left him there. But I decided to finally, like, after a year and a half, two years, two years, actually, of engineering, I decided, like, it wasn't getting any better. And I decided to just do the move. So at 20, I decided to go to Haute Etude Commerciale, HSC, a business school in Montreal. But finance wasn't my my passion either. So so how was it telling your oriental dad? Actually, I, I told him after I did the change. Fair enough. My mom raised me as a single mom, mostly. So she was the mom and the dad. And actually, recently, my brother gave a speech at my wedding where he, he called her mom and dad, Antoinette. So she was also equally stubborn as an oriental dad. And so I remember <laughs> I studied architecture and I just didn't want to do it. And so I joined digital before I even graduated. And when I told her, I swear to God, it was like all of my ancestors were like frowning at me. It was hell. She didn't talk to me. She was upset. She's like, what are you doing to your future? And I'm like, you're just going to have to trust me on this one. But it took like three or four years before she came back and said, 
okay, maybe it wasn't such a bad choice. At least you came to that point, right? My dad never told me that. Until t- I know he's proud somehow, but I mean, you know, I remember um, I have worked one day, uh, like uh, this project, and uh, it was like an animation thing, which was really fun, you know? And I remember I, I did it, I had zero money. That was one of my first ventures. And I went to schools, graduated um, students who won prizes I would approach them okay you're you have 3d skills you have the like illustration skills so I got like an a star team all like rookies everybody was just fresh graduated so we did the 30 seconds demo and I showed it to my dad all proud like did it like zero dollars and then he looked at me and he said you know, why don't you just do like your friends who graduated from finance did and find a job like in a bank or something? And I'm sure he gave me the best advice he could as a father, maybe because as an entrepreneur, him, he kind of uh, struggled and he maybe didn't want his kids to do the same. Before we dive more into Hin's journey, I just want to take a moment to point out this theme that will come back time and time again in her narrative. Risk-taking. Just like she took a chance, jumping majors in college, buying or selling stocks, Hind is someone with a pure entrepreneurial spirit who dives in headfirst in whatever venture or project presented to her, even if she is advised against it. And after graduating with a finance degree, she joined the International Financial Center of Montreal. But of course, it wasn't long before she chose to take another risk. Here's Hind. I got my first job at the International Financial Center of Montreal. So I was a project coordinator at the beginning. I was helping the uh, directors on their mission to go and attract these banks and like financial institutions to Montreal. Along the road, there was this project called the um, Financial Women's Association of New York, who wanted to open up a division in Quebec. As the official deal was done, I had the chance to work like from scratch, literally from scratch, and I got to like meet all these wonderful women, which was really amazing, you know, at the beginning to to be able to to see these these role models in the financial world, how tough it can be, and uh, it's not conventional for women, not back then, not even today. So to me, it was really an amazing experience to start everything. Through this, I got to work on the women, the lead, the directory. Yeah, like women lead was to increase the number of women on boards all over Canada. How old were you then? I was 22, 23. Excuse me now. <laughs> When I was 22, I was busy choosing my... How did you... My outfit, I was going to say, not boyfriends, Rhea. How did it happen? I mean, it just happened. No one wanted to take care of it. And it was like, yeah, you know. So your lesson learned from that is that there was something happening, no one was doing it, so I just jumped on it? You know what? You never turn down opportunities, especially when you start your career. Just go for it, because it's extremely rare, like the Michael Jackson of this world, who at five years old, he knows he's gifted and he's he's born to entertain the world. How many of those do you know? You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm not one of them, that's for sure. And I knew it back then. I was like searching. I knew I didn't like engineering and, 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 and pharmacy and all these boring jobs that my parents were talking about and I knew I didn't even like finance I was starting to understand oh that's fun white page okay new project that's exciting so that that's the kind of things like the feeling you can have I don't know how to explain it but it's like all exciting till today I get the same excitement when I get a new project I'm like okay nice when you're not sure of what you want to do or even when you are if you get a nice opportunity and even if you don't know how it works just grab it and figure it out later how many times I got to jump into something and 
you know, to be honest, I didn't know much about it. I think the ability, the capability was to bring the right people around the table and just like go and get it done. Because at the end of the day, the client or whoever, you, your boss, unless you have a micromanager, or, no one really cares on how you did it. What people want or they want to know, like, will it get done? It has to be done. It's not even will it. It has to be done. So I could work like days and nights like crazy to get it done. And at the end of the day, people say, okay, well, if you put that between the hands of Hind or Marlin or Ria, it's, it's going to get done. So I have two follow-up questions. One is, this is something I read a lot about. Like women are usually quite often typecast as the COOs of companies. Like when they do reach C-suite levels, they're usually the COO because they're usually actually pretty good at getting things done. Did you ever feel like women or yourself or the women around you were better at getting things done than the men around you? I have seen so many amazing women like delivering, really, really delivering well. Unfortunately, they're often excellent number two. The reason why is not because they don't have the capability to be number one or even the opportunity. The opportunity do come. But often you hear women who say, oh, but I'm not ready. Why you're not ready? You will never be ready. You know, I got appointed twice on board of directors. First time I was 26 and second time I was early 30s. Was I ready? No. no. <laughs> Did I know what I was uh, getting into? Not really. Was that the good thing to do? Uh, probably experts will tell you no. Probably, you know, they will tell you you have to read and understand well what's your position because it's an important position and I totally agree. But at the same time, I think that as a young professional or future, call it leader, call it whatever you want to call it, you have to prepare the next generation as early as possible. And that does include high-level positions like board of directors because they do speak about like we have to have quota of women and yeah definitely it's more than quota because you know women should be more represented for who they are because they have amazing capabilities and capacities and knowledge that it's not a question of gender necessarily you know i'd like to think that it's less today than it used to be but there's still a lot of work to be done they have been penalized sometimes just because they're women You know, and uh, that's that's really unfortunate. But there's really a movement that is happening and in different places in the world where you would not necessarily think that women occupy a high-level position. So, so, yeah, but that's another topic. I'm very similar to you. Like, something comes up and I say yes, and I'm like, oh, my God, why did I say yes to this? I don't have time. But I do. But many women don't. Many women are subject to the 70% rule, right? Like, men will take a job if they only have 70% of the qualifications, but women need to have more than 100. And if they don't, then they won't. And I really feel that in order to both create the role models, create the culture of acceptance for different genders and being able to raise your voice and all those things that people talk about, sometimes we just have to give the system a little shove. Like, I don't think the gentle thing is going to work forever. I got these chances. I could say no and just go back. But you never know if that train will pass again, you know. So you just threw yourself in the pool It's wiser if you check if there's water in the pool before you do. But sometimes you just got to take it and just move forward. The worst case scenario is that you'll have learned, you know. Did I contribute it like crazy on these Crown Corporation board of directors? Uh, no. Did I learn a lot? Absolutely. And towards the end, it was different, you know. I was like really 
feeling that that I was fulfilling my role and all this and uh, to me it was uh, really like I knew how prestigious it was, but I didn't know that two years later I would be called by the government of Quebec and a couple of years la- later by the government of Canada to be sitting on board. So for me, these were really amazing uh, experiences. And so Hind, in like her mid-twenties, got called to serve on the board of directors of both the Protection Consumers Office for the Government of Quebec and Via Rail Canada. Some would have said that Hind was too young, that she wasn't ready to serve on a board of directors. She didn't have the experience. But she was curious and courageous, and she just said yes. This experience taught Hind a lot. She learned that you should always put yourself out there, that you shouldn't doubt your capabilities, that you shouldn't be afraid to speak up, and mostly, that you should almost always say yes. After our conversation with Hind, Rhea and I were really in awe of this ability to you know, set aside the fear and the doubts and just take on the projects, never pass out on an opportunity. So we started talking about women and risk-taking, And I asked Rhea, who's like, you know, my risk taker friend who, you know, quit her job, is creating her own company right now, to jump on board and and to have a conversation with me about whether or not she believes, or I believe, that women are less or more risk taking than men. Hi. Hi, Rhea. It's funny, I don't view myself as a risk taker. What? I take the risks, but like, you know, like I question myself every but risk-taking it doesn't have anything to do with being able to walk into it like in a straight line what you think men don't question themselves when they take risks i'm going to start right away by telling you about the study that i found okay let's talk about that the study i found is called and it was done by professors from the university of exeter in the uk exeter yes and it's called is it for people who exit no (laughs) do not insult an entire institution Let's try not to do that. All right. All right. So it's called Sex, Drugs, and Reckless Driving Are Measures Biased Toward Identifying Risk-Taking in Men. So a little bit of like a background. Up until this study, which was done in 2016, all data has shown that men are more risk-taking than women. And even more than that, women are risk-averse. Yes, that's, that's what I hear. That is like statistically proven. That's what the data says. Mm-hmm. Except. Except. Cliffhanger. How does one measure risk? Every criteria that they would present in these studies to measure whether you're a risk taker or not was male-biased behavior. Like what? Jumping off of an airplane. Extreme, extreme sports. You're saying gambling. Like, it's like just that men like to do these things more. More than women. But that the studies were using these as a criteria. Yes. And so you're saying the studies were biased? Yes. What did this one show? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll, or whatever it's called. So it was shown that, for example, women are more likely to donate their kidneys than men. Much more, by like three times While they're alive. While they're alive. Which is pretty risk-taking. That's pretty risky. That's pretty risk-taking. All right, men gamble more than women. Fine, that's like spending a lot of money, but women are way more likely to buy a really, really expensive handbag online. Is that risk-taking? Yes. Because you're like online. online. Yes, I understand. Yes, that's so true, by the way. My husband's always like, my wife buys furniture online. And I'm like, yep. It's a risk. I, I get it. Yeah, he's always amazed by that. Okay, maybe women are a bit more cautious in taking the risk. Maybe they think about it a little bit more, but they, you just said it. It's still risk-taking. So this whole thing that women don't take risks. Bullshit. Debunked. Debunked. Debunked right here, ladies and gentlemen, on Who Run the World podcast. You know, breaking news. They're, they're still doing more studies to like develop yes, this course. more. It was funny because when I started doing my research on this, everything I found was like, women don't take risks, women don't take I'm like, that's not in line with Hint's story. It's not in line with yours. I keep having to remind you of this, Mrs. Risk Taker. 
Yeah. But the thing is, I just don't think about it. I just do the stuff. Like we also had another friend who just moved to Dubai for the first time to start a job. Doesn't really know anyone here. Hasn't lived on her own ever. Moved here. For her, that's like risky. That is risky. Okay, people were like, oh, it's not like jumping out of an airplane, but... Who jumps out of who airplanes? Who jumps out of airplanes? Ugh, crazy humans. So what, what do you think about this information I just laid on you? I don't know. I'm going to bring it back to the corporate environment because that's where I thrive with my data. But like, I don't know if this is risk-taking or not, but you know that statistic about how women will only apply for a job if they sort of fulfill 100% of the criteria for it and men will do it at 70%. Or women will only take on a promotion if they're already doing the work versus men will require will request a promotion as an extension of their capabilities. I, I hate to say this, but it does feel to me like women will take less of those risks in the workplace. Yes. <laughs> Rhea is speechless, ladies yeah. and gents. I think... If I had to say this, I would say not that women are not risk takers because I don't like gen this kind of generalization. I mean, I grew up with a risk taker. I'm sitting with one right now. I'll just say that maybe the difference is that women will be much more open about their doubts. And also, I think we, at least I'll talk for myself, but I think that that's a behavior I've seen in my other female friends. We like to talk these things out in a group. Like if we're having doubts, if we're not sure about a risk we want to take, if whatever, we will voice it a lot more like if a woman doesn't want to take a promotion she will explain why whereas maybe a man will have the same doubts in his head but won't say it out loud i have a new theory i have like it's what's like, your it's, theory? it's a working theory i'm like going through it yeah, now so it everyone don't judge her if she yes. changes her mind in six months the study says that risk taking was judged on male behavior correct right yes And that there are women-specific behavior that would say that women are also risk-taking. Correct. But you talked about corporate, the corporate world and all this. Mm -hmm. Women are just now starting to it's really talk to about us. these issues. Mm -hmm. So it's a new environment that is still very male-dominated. So of course right. they, have yes. more, they have more security to take risk, whereas we don't. So I think we had this conversation in one of our previous episodes, but where we said we live in organizations that are constructed by men. And again, the type of risk-taking that is perceived as being someone who takes risks is also defined by men, is what you're saying. And so maybe women look like they're not willing to take those risks, but it also could be, just like the study, completely gender-biased. And maybe risk-taking is side-shifting as opposed to only going up or whatever it is. You always say you need to be empathetic and show your vulnerability. That might be a risk in the workplace. I totally, I'm with you on that. I'm like, I back your theory. So going back to our own brave risk taker, Hind, when we left her X minutes ago before Rhea and I had this amazing epiphany, she'd just been asked to join two boards of directors. And we join her again now as she once again decides to take a new risk and starts doing business in the Gulf region a place she's never been to before. I asked her about that. You joined these boards when you were 26 and then again in your early 30s. And how did you continue in, in Montreal? And, and, and at what point did you move here? To Dubai. Along the road, I got to meet some uh, people who 
told me about the Gulf region and um, started to get interested in this region. And then I had the first trip with my older brother. I told him, you know, like apparently it's the next best thing happening there. We should maybe go and, and check it out. We never know, you know. And my brother is a, was a lawyer. He had two weeks off and he's used to my craziness. So it was like, oh, whatever. Worst case scenario is going to be two weeks of vacation, you know. And we realized there's not a lot of Canadian companies. And why is that? Because, you know, there's a lot that, that could sell their products, services, and so on. So we came back to Montreal. I started to contact a couple of companies and uh, asking them, you know, do you know about this part of the world? And uh, weirdly, a lot of people didn't know. And uh, that was really at the beginning. We're talking about 2006, 2007. So it was really early stage, right? So uh, when you think Dubai is about 10 years or more or less, you know? So yeah, came back and then the company started and uh, we had first client, the second client. And then I got the Caisse de Depot et Placements Québec, which is like a very a strong financial institution there where I had the chance to uh, work with like hundreds of companies. So that's how we got to learn about so many uh, industries and stuff from aluminium to prefabricated houses, you name it. We have really touched a lot of uh, sectors. But because of that and because of the animation, so our name started to circulate one day someone called me and said it's the third person that tells me to call you because i have this amazing project i cannot explain on the phone and i'd like to sell it to the gulf regions i was like okay that's a good pitch just come (laughs) come over i'm very interested and he was showing me actually augmented reality so we're in 2011 2012 so i was like okay that's just really amazing he was asking me i want to sell it to dubai and and luckily enough, I was going to Dubai two days later to present the animation project for a conference. And then I've met the other other companies. I was showing them our demos in augmented reality. They were like, wow, what is that? So let me repeat that for you. Hind goes to a conference with a bunch of different tech media companies in attendance, including leading media hub 2454. And everyone is just floored by the AR technology she's showcasing. And at that time, AR was still in its infancy. It had not even hit the Middle East yet, so to speak. And after seeing the interest there was for what she was showcasing, Hind literally just packed her bags and moved to Dubai, trying to sell the technology and create content for other companies. And that's how she started her company, which was initially called Bukra which means tomorrow in Arabic, and is now called Arkub or Arcube, as I like to call it, which is Bukra spelled backwards. Again, I mean, I hate to you know, say this again, but here's another risk taken by this wonderful young woman. Hind was hit by the AR and tech bug, and she tells us how she got the strength to keep going and how she hustled her way to Dubai. You know, someone told me, if you, if you want your dreams to come true, you have to start by dreaming. No, absolutely. I'm pretty sure I'm going to have like seven careers. I don't have a linear story. I studied architecture. I worked in digital. Now I work for a real estate company. And I've done different things at different times of my career, from HR to project management to running a company. I'm very similar to you in that fashion, which is like, I just see something that looks really exciting. And I'm like, take me now. Uh, in my 20s, you guys are still in your 20s. I'm 32. 27. You're such a baby. Yeah. No, it's great. I mean, it's great like, to have all these uh, this energy and this 
drive at this young age but in my 20s i tried so many things and people were like well she doesn't know what she wants to do in life but you know you gotta try things and you gotta fail if you don't fail you're never gonna learn and it's not something it's you're gonna hear it by everyone who somehow got a venture or, or even like whether it's entrepreneurship or entrepreneurship either way you have to try things as you get more experienced you're gonna learn from your experiences so you're gonna calculate more things doesn't mean that you're not gonna try and fail again you just don't fail on the same mistakes you learn from your mistakes but you're gonna you gotta try things the founder of the muse you know the muse it's like a career sort of media site where you can go and get advice about how to write your cv how to choose what career you want whatever she was pitching to investors and she got 148 no's before she raised 30 million dollars 148 like you have to be some grade of insane to do that this story you you can hear it from so many successful business people you can even bring it to the music like the beatles how many people try to beatles i mean or jk rowling right same 12 times 12 publishers said no airbnb seven vcs said no but the 148 one was just like it was beautiful i'm pretty sure that person was thinking like there's probably i don't know thousands of publishers out there so there's probably one somewhere somehow but it's you you have to keep your motivation and have that vision a clear vision you know i came here i knew nobody I had no contact. I have this augmented reality thing, right? It's gold. And I know it's gold. And I know it's going to be the future. So I would call. Try to explain augmented reality on the phone. You know, it's like, what the hell is she talking about? <laughs> you know, so it was very difficult. I was like, just give me a meeting. I'll show you. I have demos. And it's really something that is really futuristic and so on. Very difficult. So I would do, I would cold call. Wouldn't work. I would go to conferences and people would say, like, if I was lucky enough, I would get business cards. And then you would call them and they were like, who are you again? And, the, you know, but, but at the, in, the, in the conferences, uh, what's good is I had my demos. I could get a couple of meetings. I got a few uh, clients this way. The extreme part is to go, like, literally in buildings and check all the names, like, Pepsi Cola and you name all the name of the companies on the board. I was like going to the reception and asking for the person, you know, if I cannot get a meeting, just get a contact, just an email. You have to really try different ways. I'm not saying that any of these ways is good. The best way would have been to hire a salesperson, but I was so passionate about what I had between my hands. And that's how I started. So I'm going to ask you the question that we ask every guest at the end of uh, every episode, which is... What is being a feminist and are you a feminist? I don't think I'm a feminist. Okay, let me think So what about is it that one. you're not then? The word feminist, the second you said this word, I could imagine the woman in the streets with the banners and the stuff. I'm a feminist in the sense that I, I am for the woman's empowerment because they deserve the same position as any man in the sense that we have studied, we have worked, worked very hard. We have the skills, the capabilities. So I don't see why we could, we could not be treated equal to equal. Why would we have less opportunities, less this? Less, I don't know, even know why we should have that kind of conversation and what, that kind of debate. To me, it should be so natural. And so many studies have shown having a woman as a, as a leader, all the benefits for the organization and so on. So in that sense, yes, I'm a feminist. If your definition of feminist is having the same opportunity and having the same place in society as any man 
then definitely i'll tell you one thing and and that's maybe not politically correct again to say unfortunately through my experience i have learned that not all women are supporting other women and i think that in order to have our places in this world like more assured or more or easier to get there women should definitely like work a bit more towards helping other women it doesn't mean that uh, the the women are not helping other women generally i don't have numbers about that but i'm just talking about my own experience i had to fight i had to live hard time for the for this thing but things have evolved and now today i have the chance to be able to help other women and i'm more than happy to do it whether it's through mentorship or our new projects in order to get there i think we should help each other first and then it's going to be easier to promote the message out there so that was my conversation with Hind Sergiye, risk taker, entrepreneur, innovator. Both Rhea and I really connected with Hind and her jump first, check if there's water later spirit. We definitely think of her as a role model and we hope you do too. You were just listening to Who Run the World, hosted by me, moi, Marilyn Zakauer, and produced by the person sitting across the mic from me, Rhea Shadid of Raisin Media. Stay tuned for our next episode. In the meantime, Please subscribe to Who Run the World on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Overcast, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you want to find out more about the latest women who are inspiring us, head over to whorunthewordpodcast.com or follow us on our Facebook page, Who Run the World Podcast. You can also follow me on Instagram on Permanent Hunger, and you can follow Rhea on Raisin, at Raisin. R-H-E-Y-Z-I-N. Yes, thank you for Follow me. Follow her because she needs love. I need love and, and I need friends. And, you know, it's a risk for you to follow me. It's a risk because she might not give you any good content. No, because, but go for it. because if you were to follow me, because we don't live in the same city. Me, Marilyn. Yes. Yes. We don't live in the same city. And I know how much you miss me right. on a daily basis. So if I followed you. It would be a risk for you to be reminded of that exactly, missing exactly of me miserable. all the time. Exactly. That's exactly why I don't follow you. Exactly. You got it. Yes. But follow her. And you can also follow Permanent Hunger, by the way. If you want pictures of food. Food. Lots of it. Yes. And you'll also find pictures of me that are not tagged. Because she doesn't follow me. Because I don't follow her. I can't tag her. <laughs> <laughs>